This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Hold on to your hats. This episode is a little bit of a rogue cowboy, I'm going to say, in the best way possible. And I'm so excited for you to get to listen. If you have young kids around, this is not the episode for their little ears. So push pause and come back to it when you have a moment on your own. We're going to be talking all about marriage, relationships, sex. I would say sex is 90% of This episode, no topic is off the table. My guests today are the Shrink Chicks. They are both marriage and family therapists who have a practice together called The Therapy Group. Emily and Jennifer are here to talk about the things that aren't necessarily talked about that we really need to be talking about. So we're going to really dive into our experience with sex, how we can light up our sex life in our relationships, what's a normal amount of sex, is it normal if you want more or less than your partner, how do you navigate that, how do you have a healthy, strong sex life when you don't feel great in your body. Let me tell you a little bit about the two women who are joining us. Emily Barely is a marriage and family therapist. Emily started going to therapy when she was 12 years old when her eating disorder and self-harm began. Through the next 10 years, she had experiences with amazing therapists and not so amazing therapists, which is a huge part of why she became a therapist in the first place. Jennifer is also obviously a therapist. Jennifer became a therapist after years of being told that her own inner experience and sensitivity was something to be ashamed of. These women are bold. They have so many tools for you. I'm going to get out of their way and let these women support you in taking your sex life to the next level. Oh, I'm excited to have this conversation with you. I posted on social yesterday asking people what did they want to know in regards to relationships, sex, marriage, partnerships, all the things. And I am so excited about the questions that people ask. Like, they want to talk. They want a therapy session from the girls, from the shrink chicks. And that's what we're going to give them We're so excited. Yep, let's do it. Let's just talk about this last year and the reality of what partnerships went through amidst COVID. All of a sudden, there's this tremendous amount of unknown and stress, jobs changing, everybody's working from home. If you had kids, it was like, for a certain amount of time at least, the kids were at home. Mm -hmm. There's no separation ever. What's that saying around like, you need space in order to really feel the flame? Yes. And it's totally true, right? Like, so like we say like space and mystery feeds the erotic and nothing about the past year has been sexy. <laughs> nothing. And, and it's and it's also such a drastic difference, right? So there was either that you had all these people in your house, your kids, your partner, you're stuck there, or for some people that were maybe in long distance relationships or their partner was like an essential worker and they didn't want to be exposed, there was a ton of distance. So I feel like we had drastically different ends of the spectrum of 
what our relationships really went through in the past year. And truly, I think a lot of people came out of it saying, this doesn't work. Or here's all the stuff we were avoiding. And then all of a sudden, we're shoved in the house together. And we can't avoid this anymore. Conversations started happening. People had been ignoring for years. Because it was easy to avoid them, right? Like if you have so much to do, and you could be busy. And I think too, it's such a myth that when we move in together or when we have more time with each other, we're going to be more sexually connected when actually the opposite is true. Yes. <laughs> You're like, I know too much. Yeah, it, I, know. I know too much. I'm spending too much time you with don't you. don't put the lid on the toothpaste. I know you fart. I know you yes. like, I know everything about you now. There's no mystery. It's all there. Well, it's true. It's so true. And for and for a really long time, there was this myth about marriage that like when you get married, sex really decreases. And the interesting part is that the, some of those statistics came from before cohabitation was completely normal, right? Like now it's like incredibly typical that people live together. So people were getting married and living together for the first time. It's actually living together that decreases some of that quantity of sex. Wow. That is so interesting. Yes. I've never heard that before. Yep. Oh, yeah. And I think the difference is, too, is like when we believe that our sex is going to increase and it doesn't, we feel even worse about it. Yeah. And that's what I was seeing when I asked everyone, what do you want to talk about? There's a lot of shame around sex yes. and a lot of uncertainty. Like we have this idea of how many times we should be having sex each week in our relationships and what that sex should be like and how badly we should want it and the desire around it. And so, you know, we talk a lot about body image and and the way we view ourselves. It feels similar to that. We have this expectation based on what we've heard from others or seen in the media of, of how we should be showing up. And then when it's not looking like that in our own relationship, like we feel ashamed. Absolutely. And it's interesting you bring up the body image stuff because I feel like there was some people that were on like two different sides of a coin, right? So some people said during the pandemic and during lockdown was the first time I never thought about my body because I didn't have to dress it in a certain way. For some people, it was an experience of like, oh, now this is what body neutrality is. Other people were like going into the office or running my errands. That's what keeps me distracted from some of my body checking. So you had people having two very different experiences of how that body image started to work into it. And the reality is, Body image strongly affects our libido and desire because it also strongly affects sexual pleasure. And when I'm having good sex, I am interested in having more sex. If (laughs) I'm not having good sex, if I'm sitting there gritting my teeth and thinking, oh, gosh, I just have to get this over with so that I can walk the dog or do do the laundry or whatever, like, of course, you're not going to be interested in having more sex. It's just something you check off a list. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals for a second. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that really don't help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversation, and Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teachings so you're ready to practice what you learned in the real world. If you're heading to another country, 
country anytime soon, start using Babbel a few weeks before you go to learn basics like how to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants without having to consult language apps while you're away. So fun. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash raw beauty talks. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash raw beauty talks. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. Over. Okay, there's so much to unpack. Let's start on the body image sexual relationship conversation. So, I mean, all day, every day, I work with women in all different types of bodies and at all different types of ages who are at some level uncomfortable in their body. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't dive very deeply into the conversations around sex, but of course it comes up in that. This impacts not only their sexual relationships, but relationships in general and how they can show up and how confident they feel in that area. Do you experience this with people who are sitting in your chairs at the therapy group? And do you have any tips to support women who just aren't feeling good in their body and therefore it's impacting their sexual relationships or relationships in general? Absolutely. I would say it's one of the most common things we hear from women. And I also think a lot of men experience this. I just don't think it's as socially acceptable for them to talk about it. And part of this is, you know, if you look at it from a societal perspective, how much pressure we have put on that your physical appearance is your calling card in the world, right? So like, if that's who I am in the world, if that's how people see me, well, then that's where I'm going to put so much focus on. One of the things that we start off with people is that's when we talk about masturbation and self-exploration, that you can have good sex with someone else until you're having good sex with yourself. And you will not learn how to tell your partner about your different erogenous zones and your different pleasure spots until you know what those are yourself. And when you're focusing on having good sex, you're focusing less on how your stomach looks, right? If I'm focusing that I know that I like circular uh, movements on my clitoris, I'm going to be instead thinking about telling that's my partner as opposed to are they looking at my chin. And when we start to actually focus on pleasure, you can have great sex at any size in any body. 
including disabled bodies, right? Like you can have good sex and great pleasure. And we're all, I firmly believe, entitled to that. So one of the things you start out with is self-exploration, masturbation, and then how do I start the conversation with my partner and start to talk about sex out of the bedroom so that in the bedroom you can have conversations. And when you're actually focusing on that pleasure, it's less about body. It's just about choosing to do something different with your mind focus. Oh, I like that. I think too, during masturbation, to be able to notice what's coming up for me anxiety-wise, right? So like it's so common that that when we're having sex, there's so much anxiety that can come up. And that very much keeps us from focusing on our pleasure, right? On what feels good for me, what doesn't feel good for me. And so we all have some sort of sexual shame, whether it's because of the way we're socialized, especially for women. And so to notice even through masturbation where okay, where's that anxiety coming up for me? How do I feel about masturbating? How do I feel about the fact that I'm allowing myself to feel pleasure in general? And so to really notice where that anxiety is coming up for you, because the more you recognize it internally, the more you can work through that. Because anxiety is going to put a huge stop to being able to feel pleasure during sex. That's what I was going to say, like if you're masturbating or you're in a sexual experience and all you can think about is your stomach or perhaps the thoughts aren't even there, but you just feel your body constricting or just being uncomfortable. So is that something that an individual can work through on their own or is that something really where it can be helpful to talk to a therapist or have somebody to have these conversations with? I think it's always helpful to talk to a trained therapist. You do not need to be in crisis. It can be I notice this thing that gets in the way of living a life I'd like to live. It can be as simple as that. And we all deserve that, to have a place to process and to figure stuff out. And sometimes I think it's really easy for us to put our experience, our pain, our trauma, our childhood, whatever on a spectrum compared to other people. Well, I'm not as bad as someone who was like an intense sexual trauma history. Maybe that's totally accurate. That doesn't mean you don't have some stuff that's residual from diet culture left over affecting things, right? Even if I haven't had this direct experience, we have all of this context around us that's giving us messages all day long. It is truly everywhere. I love, I just heard something a couple weeks ago where Kate Winslet was filming for her show that she's in right now. Mm -hmm. And she told the producers, you cannot edit my stomach out in this sex scene. That is part of the character and women need to see this. It really made me think about who do we see in movies, in TV shows having sex? It's always these like highly sexual, perfect bodies. It's so erotic. And then we've got porn, which is this booming industry Mm -hmm. that now I'm like, it's crazy. You're hearing that that a lot of boys are seeing it by the time they're 10 years old. Yes. That is shaping the way that we sexualize women and and then therefore feel that we need to look in order to have good sex. Mm -hmm. And the reality is like very few people, I don't know, I don't look like that (laughs) in the bedroom. No. Very few women do. So how do we navigate these messages? I would recommend for anyone, specifically people that are in large bodies or want to understand their bodies a different way, there is great ethical porn that you can get. Specifically using a service like OnlyFans or feminist sexual porn, there are people that are in different types of bodies 
doing sex work that you can surround yourself with. But also, what have you been taught about sexuality and femininity? Yes. I think a big piece of this too is talking about vaginas, right? And like what we've been taught about what vaginas are supposed to look like. Vulvas, yeah. And vulvas, right? And as you mentioned, porn and the fact that boys as young as 10 years old are seeing porn and how like vaginas and vulvas are supposed to look, right? And so to get comfortable with your body, right? Or even recognize the discomfort in your own body Mm -hmm. and how those messages really push us in different directions to feel like, oh, this is normal, this isn't normal. To start to normalize all bodies look different and you can still be a sexual being in so many different ways. Mm, Okay, this is a hilarious conversation that we had in our house today that then rolled into, I have like a text string with nine of my closest Uh girlfriends. So I was reading somewhere and and they were talking about how there's so much shame around the vagina that it's crazy that men can be wearing like something that shows off their package essentially and it's all good but a woman has a camel toe and it's like this big discussion and there's so much shame around it and then my girlfriend texts to all of us and you know we've all had kids and so we have this hilarious real raw honest conversation behind the scenes but she was like girls I don't know with all these high-waisted pants like I feel like I've just got a camel toe all the time and I don't know what to do about it does anybody else have this problem like my vagina is eating my jeans uh-huh. there's a great Instagram account the vulva gallery that's just art of all different types of vulvas that the fact is some people have larger vulvas and so they're going to show in high-waisted jeans and spandex and makes your lululemons look quite different depending on your size right but part of it is once again exactly what we have taught women about who they're supposed to be in this world when it comes to sex that it is okay for men to be loud and proud of their bodies right I have a huge dick. But like if women do that, like she they're super cocky. And so right. it, it is like a very internalized patriarchal thing that not only have we put on ourselves, but we also do towards other women. I'm so glad we're having this conversation. <laughs> Imagine if we just walked around like, look at my big vulva. Okay. <laughs> See my big camel toe here? <laughs> well, honestly. Wasn't there a time period where like having a camel toe was – I swear there was something you could like put in your pants – I'm going to find it and send you the link. Well, was it, wasn't that part of Friends that, that Jennifer Aniston wore fake nipples to always have her oh, nipples yeah. out? Wasn't that like a thing? Oh, my God. Of course. Yeah. Like all of these things, <laughs> the trends and what is beautiful and what is normal, it's constantly changing. I hope we continue to see women in all different body types having sex and having sexual experiences. I really believe that does make an impact on oh, women's ability to feel good about themselves in the bedroom. Okay, I want to talk a little bit about one of the conversations that was coming up frequently, which is around how much sex is normal. And is it normal if my partner and I have different sexual appetites? Am I unhealthy or wrong if my libido is low? Like, talk to us about this. The number one question. And you know what? Hey. We just had an episode on our podcast with Dr. Kristen Mark. Oh, who's amazing. We ended our episode with that question because it's a huge one, right? And so, and her- sex therapists never want to answer it. We do not right. want to answer it. <laughs> because everyone's relationship is different. Well, it's almost like a BMI. If you put a number on it, you think if I'm not in it, I'm wrong. But all of us are so different. 
but still, we'll, we're going to tell you. So she reported <laughs> okay. to us that the happiest couples have sex at least once a week. Okay. And is the sex making them happier or are they happier and more connected and therefore having sex? Chicken or the egg? Great we question. We're not sure. Right? That research doesn't show us that. And so this is where it becomes a little bit difficult. So one of the things you asked us, though, Aaron, was um, is normal for things to be different? And Jen, I feel like you always have a great answer to this, which is it would be impossible for two people to ever have the same libido. Right. Because you're two different people. Yeah. And, and this is, you know, if we talk about media and the messages that we get, when we're watching a movie, when there's like a sex scene, they're always like orgasming at the same time and it's always spontaneous right there's like this spontaneous sex scene where you're both into it and then you're orgasming at the same time and it's incredible and you're so connected that is so rare that that is happening, right? Especially when you're in a long-term relationship yes. and you have stresses and that sex is so often not spontaneous, right? That where one person has a higher libido than the other. And this is where the really unsexy answer we always have is that communication around this is so important. And communication around it can feel hard because there is so much shame and, and expectation and I think as well, just people feel like if we're not having good sex, then is our relationship good? Absolutely. And one of the things that we always recommend is a technique that we use with clients, which is called the sexual script, right? Which is like, what is the point of sex? Because for some people, the point of sex is actually to get pregnant. If you're working with someone who's going through infertility and they have to have timed out specific sex, then like sex is different for them. We think it's up to every one of us to define what the point of a sex and what we get out of sex. For some people, they really believe sex is a thing that I do to please my partner. I simply don't care about it. I'm not a sexual person and I am fine with having sex and not getting pleasure. That's not up to mm -hmm. us to judge, but I think it's yeah. very important to understand what am I doing it for? Am I doing it just so my partner leaves me alone for the rest of the week? Well... <laughs> That's not a great reason to have sex. And it might be a very common <laughs> reason that you're having sex. I have common. done that before. <laughs> yes. I have yes. for sure been like – And <laughs> that's not always necessarily a bad or problematic thing to sit here and be like, hey, like I know this is something that's important for my partner. It's not going to take anything away from me. It's fine, right? Like that's not a problem. Right. And sometimes it's that. Like, you know, it's easier for me to drop off my daughter or daycare today than my husband, right? Like so sometimes it's exactly. not this – it's simple thing. But – other times when I'm sitting there saying, I hate this, I want it to be over, we are mm. teaching our bodies a very direct message, which is one, I don't listen to you, the body, right. and we do everything for other people, and that you are not the center of your life. And those mm. three things can breed a ton of resentment in a relationship. And so the reason why it's very, very important to think, why do we do something? The same reason when I'm talking about people and they're like, I don't know if I want to have a kid. Okay, well, what do you think the point of having a kid is? Because I don't think it should be for Instagram photos, right? Like, although great content, like what's actually something bigger here, you know? So like thinking deeper about like, what is if we zoom out the point of all of this stuff that we're doing? So that's a great place to start a conversation around this and an, an incredible way to just understand your partner as well and what, what it means to you and, and you as a couple as well. You can have your individual definitions, but then... What is that going to mean in your relationship? And especially because I've heard partners say before, like, the reason why it's really important for me to have sex once a week is because my fear is if it goes longer, then it's going to completely go away. And my fear that I grew up with was everyone always told me that sex dies with marriage, right? Well, so if you hear that from your partner, you're like, whoa, like, all right, that makes a lot of sense. 
But the reason I don't always want to have it is because we have this stress or because I'm breastfeeding or because you know, any of these other things that are happening yes. in my life. And think about this in workouts. If workouts are just to punish our bodies, where's the joy of movement? Same thing with sex. It is going to cause this negative feedback loop. And more and more, I'm going to avoid it. I'm going to be resentful. I'm not going to be present during sex. And instead of saying this to my partner, Mm -hmm. I am going to keep it deep down inside me. And it's going to slowly get bigger and take over and cause more disconnection. Yes, because your partner is just going to feel like you're pulling away and isn't going to understand what's going on in that mind of yours. Absolutely. And that's where the communication really comes in is that rejection is a huge part of this too, right? The person with the lower libido holds the power in your sexual relationship. And people don't – we might have to sit with that for a second because a lot of people don't want to hear that because often those people also feel out of control, but they're the ones who are consenting. And they don't – and that's the thing is that they don't necessarily want to hold the power. It's a lot of pressure. The more pressure you feel in your sexual relationship, the lower your libido is going to be too. It feels like over and over again, oh, I'm doing this because I don't want my partner to feel rejected. Right. And that's where you're not listening to your body. But this is where communication comes in to be able to say, Hey, listen, I've had a really stressful day. Like I love you and I understand you want to connect with me sexually. I don't think I'm up for it today. Can we like cuddle instead? Right. So there's ways to let your partner down that isn't as rejecting. I think so often we have this very visceral reaction when we're not into it, but we know that our partner wants it, that can be very rejecting of them. And so as that builds up in the relationship, it can cause a negative interaction cycle that just continues to build and breed in the relationship. Yes. You know what? I remember after having both of our kids and just being so depleted and so tired. And my body had been pregnant four times. I'd had two babies. I'd been breastfeeding. And during that time, like my libido was very low. Mm -hmm. I felt like my body belonged to my babies. And at the end of the night, the last thing I felt like I had any energy for was sex. I'm like, I need sleep. I love you so much. And I think you're so hot. And I would love to cuddle with you. And like, Like, I just have negative libido right now. Because I'd said kind of no so many times, he was like, well, I'm not going to ask anymore. Like, Mm -hmm. I know what the answer is going to be. So we had to really work on building that back up and kind of like getting him to a space where he felt like he could try again without getting shut down. This was probably one of the next most asked questions was how do I maintain a sex life with kids and young kids and like all the things that are going on in life? Like any suggestions there? Well, this is when we're going to go into there's a few different things, which is that specifically when you're talking about postpartum, parts of our bodies change, right? I'm someone who breastfed my daughter until she was two, right? My breasts were always like an erotic zone for my partner. But during that time, I went through a similar thing that like it really felt like it belonged to her. I was also pumping and that sucks if you know it. Yes. Right. And so during that time, I was like, listen, like this is not for you right now. Like this isn't a part. So like there's a part where you have (laughs) to one, relearn bodies. 
bodies change. We're not supposed to have the same bodies as middle or high school. So often I hear people like in session be like, oh yeah, but like when I was 16, I look like this. I'm like, why the, do you want to be anything else than when you were 16? You want to have the same emotional regulation? You want to have the same friendships? I don't think so, man. Like things change and we have to keep relearning about ourselves. And that includes our bodies. So a few things. One of the things we're going to talk about is that arousal precedes desire. Emily Nagowski's book, Come As You Are, talks about this a lot. It's one of the things we work on a ton specifically with women and a lot of times in postpartum, which is we keep thinking that we're going to feel the same type of arousal. That arousal that you felt like when you were dry humping when you were 16 and you were so excited. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, that blood flow to the clitoris, right? Like, And a lot of times that doesn't just spontaneously happen because you're changing diapers, you're working, the dog puked, there's dishes. <laughs> Not so sexy. Right? Like, exactly. And so you're going to sit here and say, well, I don't feel any arousal. You may not for a while. Arousal precedes desire. We have to let our bodies experience pleasure. And then all of a sudden, our body says, oh, wait, I think I do like this. This is me every time. I'm like, oh, this is fun. Why don't we do this more often? Exactly, yeah, but I'm like, right? it's so I have to get there first. Yes. Exactly. And, what you're and it is one of the things you say, like, okay, we haven't had sex in a while. I would really like to have sex because it feels like it's going to emotionally connect us. I feel like I'm having less stress today. One of the things maybe I want to do is take a shower, take care of myself, and then I'm going to masturbate or use a vibrator for a little bit and then have my partner join in, right? Like, I'm going to actually set my body up for success to enjoy this. I'm mm. going to remind my body that it can experience pleasure. And this is especially hard if you have painful sex after childbirth, which sex should never, ever, ever be painful. Sex may be uncomfortable if you have a really tight pelvic floor, but sex should not be painful. And if sex is painful, that's why it's really, really important to go work with a pelvic floor physical therapist. Yes. Thank you for plugging the pelvic floor therapists. They just don't get enough love. They don't. And, it's and so they're important. incredible. So to sit here and say like, okay, like, also, is it not just about my partner? Is it for me? And people also, I think a lot of people hate the idea of like scheduling sex. Once again, there's so many things we talk about that just aren't sexy, right? Yeah. Like, and they don't align with our ideas of what sex is supposed to be. And so we always love talking about how this spontaneous desire piece is a myth in a lot of ways. It's there at the beginning a yeah. ton. But after you have stress in your life, you have a lot going on, it's so much less likely to be there. And so, so often we say, well, I'm not in the mood right now. So that means I can't have sex. Mm -hmm. There are times where if you allow yourself, if you give yourself permission to say, okay, I can allow myself to get in the mood, right? Like I want to do this to feel connected and, you know, feel pleasure if I'm able to, then I'm going to give myself permission to get in the mood. One of the things I've heard people say a lot is, I was interested in having sex, but I didn't say anything to my partner. And I hear this time and time again. And there's something in that moment that's holding you back. And I would encourage you to like take a little bit of a further and deeper look with that about like, what is that about for you? Because it's something you think that you both may enjoy and probably would be good. But for some reason, I don't do what I is it the fear of rejection is it shame is it difficult body image what is it that sort of puts that stop sign there or is it am I never the one who initiates right like is my partner always the one who initiates so if I have this feeling like oh I want to have sex but I don't really know how to do this and I, I'm never the one to do it changing that cycle can be really scary too 
Or if I initiate it, then they're going to keep asking me and then I have to keep saying no again, right? right? Like I've worked with people that struggle to give their partners hugs because they're worried that their partner might ask for more. They are so consumed with guilt by saying no for so long that they can't even do a hug, even if they are desperately, desperately needing one. Wow. I read a statistic saying that Youth, I don't know what classifies a youth, but are having less sex than ever before and they're placing the blame on social media. So when you said that moment of, oh, I feel like I could have sex right now, and I just pictured this person grabbing their phone and instead opening Instagram or TikTok, there's this little thing in our hand that can give us a minute amount of pleasure that can almost put like numb out the difficulty of all that you just unpacked in that one sentence, like all of that feels really hard. I could just go here instead. How is social media impacting our sex life? I will say I did not read that statistic, but it makes a ton of sense to me. And I've heard that it is decreasing and the raise and the age of people losing, quote unquote, their virginity. Virginity is not a real thing, guys. But also the age of losing your virginity is rising as well. And I think that there's a few things that go into it. One, I think that the millennial generation experienced more diet culture and more diet trauma than ever before. Because we're a generation that grew up with our moms eating 100 calorie packs of, quote unquote, the obesity epidemic, of slim fast, all of this stuff, right? So I think there is a ton of body image stuff that's happened. Gen Z is interestingly exploring their sexuality as a spectrum more than ever before. The amount of people in Gen Z that are identifying as pansexual, as non-binary, or any of these different things, I think that they're thinking about sexuality in a whole other way. If Peggy Ornstein has two fabulous books, Girls and Sex and Boys and Sex, and it talks about we sort of learn sex as transactional. It was my way to get people to like me or get people to accept me or to get him to not leave. And I think thankfully, the younger generation is seeing sex in a really different way. Thank God. This makes me so happy. I have full goosebumps. And I think that this is just showing that we are seeing some changes, not only in the world of body image. Like There are a lot of women who are struggling with that. 60% of women struggle with their relationship Mm -hmm. with food. The work is not done and it probably will ever be evolving, but I'm loving hearing this, that there is just not so much restriction placed on what you can and cannot be sexually. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're able to see sex in a more positive way and you're able to see yourself as a more complex person, I also think parents now are having way different conversations about masturbation with their kids, right? Like many millennials, we're not getting those conversations. It was like, just, good God, don't do that in front right. of me or get off your bike. There was why, a lot of shame Why are you so it? into yeah. riding horses, which is no. where a lot of girls started experiencing <laughs> orgasms. And I think that because we didn't have all of this access to information, it's a really different experience of people being able to explore their bodies. And so then you're not exploring it with someone else. You're exploring it with yourself. And honestly, that's actually the best sex and best preventative right. birth control. And you, get to really, and you get to really know yourself from an early age, yeah. right, where there's yeah. less shame around it. And it also – I know, once again, we didn't read that, but it also depends on how you're defining sex in general, 
we can define sex in so many different ways, right? Like there's sexual acts that we can experience, masturbation, you know, like so I think that the kind of socially constructed idea of what sex means is taking so many different forms as well. Is it normal to lose interest in sex as you get older? This is a question from somebody in the audience. Or can we have a really sexual appetite until the day we die? Everything's normal. We'll say that. Yes. Everything's normal. Everything's typical. Everything's a spectrum. One, totally normal. It can also be a hormonal thing. It could depend on life things. Everything happens within context, right? If I, I don't know, maybe go through a global pandemic, you know, maybe my sex drive is going to decrease a little bit, right? I might go into my 50s towards retirement. I feel free. I'm on vacation. My sex life totally skyrockets, right? So like a lot of it is like, what is the context? So yes, absolutely everything's normal. We just want to figure out the context. And if it feels like, no, I do think this is really young for me to feel nothing. And I do feel like I'm good in my marriage. And I didn't grow up in like, you know, a really restrictive sexual thing. Then of course, we want you to get some blood work and check out and make sure there isn't a hormonal deficiency in some way, because there are actual medical things that can cause that as well. But that context is going to create all of it of how that experience is for you with sex and your libido. Okay, so somebody's listening right now. And they're like, This is happening. I'm taking my sex life to the next level, whether that's with myself or a partner. I love that you mentioned starting with yourself, masturbating, getting to know your own body, what gives you pleasure, then having a conversation with your partner about what sex means to them, perhaps their sexual experiences and all that. Any other tips to kind of light the spark again or to make a richer self? sex life. We have tools that we don't realize that we have. Like there's so many times in which, okay, we can think back and say, oh, we felt we were really sexually connected during that time, mm-hmm. right? Like what was happening during that time that made us feel really sexually connected? You know, were we on a date? Were we doing something fun together? Were the kids being taken care of and we didn't have to worry about that? Did we have a four-day weekend? I don't think we recognize how many tools we really do have. Mm-hmm. And that we're constantly looking for this, okay, I need just like the one answer. But as we're saying is everyone is different. Everyone's relationship is different. And so you really do have tools that maybe you have used in the past that have made you feel really sexually connected. You can even think back to, and I know your lives are maybe very different now, to when you first met, right? What was it that really pulled you towards each other? What made you feel really sexually connected at that time? And I I think there's also a part of like, sometimes when we enter into a committed monogamous relationship, we pretend like we don't have a sexual past or maybe we don't, right? But sometimes we've had really great sex with someone else in the past that we can actually think about, you know, like not that you need to use that as the fantasy, although if that helps, that's fabulous too. But what I mean is if you think back and you think about what was the best sexual experience of my life, and that doesn't have to mean penetrative sex. That could have meant like making out in the movie theaters when I was 13. That could have meant like, like it's like dry humping in my sister's friend's basement or something, right? Like thing of like, hey, that was actually a time that I felt excited and I like that. Like, all right, so how do we bring that back? Back into the now. We get very into needing it to be perfect or look a certain way, but there is a billion ways to have great 
sex and great sexual relationships that do not have to just be penetrative. And I think that's another thing, especially let's say someone who had a really traumatic childbirth or had a very traumatic miscarriage and is struggling. And so maybe they're struggling with penetrative sex. There's other wonderful ways to have good sex that's not penetrative. And we have to get away that there is only one way to do something. So one of the best things and tips that I can give you is to think outside that box. What are different forms of pleasure for us? What are different forms of excitement for us? You know, and how did I get there with someone else in the past? Or how did I get there with my partner? Somebody listening might be thinking, but what if I never had good sex with my partner? And guess what? That happens. We hear that kind of stuff all the time. It's never too late to try to have sex. Maybe it means that you end up bringing more toys into the relationship, different types of stimulants of essential oils or pornography or listening to a sexy erotic book on tape. You know, there's so many different ways to have all of our senses integrated. But I think we're uncomfortable because we think sex should look a certain way because the movies only show one way. (laughs) Totally. They do. They really do. Those movies screwed us up. (laughs) (laughs) But there's hope because of you two. Honestly, I could talk to you all day. I have one more question for each of you, and it's a little bit more personal. But what does sex mean for you as individuals? I think for me personally, it means connection. A time with me and my partner where kind of separated from everything else. We're focused on each other. And so for me, it really means the ability to connect and feel connected. And that's not always the case that that happens. But I think that sex really means connection in a lot of ways. Mm, Love that. Mine's not so sexy right now because right now mine's procreation because right now I'm trying to get pregnant again. So like, I think it's honest to be like what it is. I'm someone who has PCOS, who has had multiple miscarriages, has had a lot of difficulty. Took me two years to have my daughter. So sex has been a little bit different for me during this time because it has to be scheduled. It has to be those specific days after my Clomid, after my whatever, you know? So like it is a little different for me right now. But I would say for me, it's pleasure. I get a ton of closeness and intimacy from my partner verbally. So for us, it's pleasure and procreation. Oh, Boring. <laughs> but hey, but that's part of that's part of it. And I think yes. it's so relatable to so many women who are going through this. And it's okay for it to be that. I mean, Absolutely. it's actually really pretty cool that sex can also serve that purpose of creating new life as well. Yep. Thank you so much for sharing your wealth of knowledge and for talking about things that a lot of women aren't talking about. This conversation around sex is like a key to unlock a lot of things. If we're willing to go there to sit with the hard questions, what I think can also be very hard about sex is that it's not just our own work. Often it involves somebody else. And so... As a result, like we're not in control of the whole experience. There's someone else there, but that can teach us so much and really has the opportunity to allow us to connect that much more deeply to another human being. Beautifully said. Where can people book their appointments with you? They can hear us talk nonstop at Shrink Chicks, any place you get your podcast with the very best podcast nation. Um, You can check us out on Instagram at Shrink Chicks or at the therapy group. We have a ton of amazing clinicians. If you go to therapygroup.com, if you want to work with other sex positive, active people just like us, that's who our clinicians are. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank Thank you. you so much. Do you ever feel like you're struggling through motherhood? You're not alone. I'm Erica Jossa, host of the MomWell podcast, 
therapist and mom of three. Join me each Wednesday as I sit down with guests, including psychologists, pediatricians, psychiatrists, fertility specialists, lactation consultants, and more to unravel the myths of motherhood. With expert advice, practical tips, self-love, and some coping skills to help you along the way, you can become the mother you want to be. Listen to the MomWell podcast at momwell.com slash listen or on your favorite podcast platform.